Context. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. It's uh, been several days since. And He has appeared to the disciples. He's appeared to Thomas. And this is after that. John chapter 21, beginning verse 1, going through 7. After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, He showed Himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, doubting Thomas, Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, if you know those are James and John, and two others of His disciples not named were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Sorry. I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Your Word stands beyond the test of time. It stands into eternity. It will endure. And that what it says is what You meant it to say. That what it said it can do, it will do. If we but listen, hear, and receive it. So Heavenly Father, I'm asking this morning that as we hear the story and understand what was happening, that we might identify and in our lives begin to see that You're not done with us yet. This story's not all the way written. And I ask You as we go forward that You would bless us indeed with Your presence, Your understanding, and the witness of Your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Any history buffs out there? Anybody have any idea about uh, Mexico and how it began to be, shall we say, changed over to Spanish? Anybody know? Let me tell you, before 1519, there were two expeditions that were sent over from Spain. Both failed miserably. They couldn't even get a settlement established. Yet on February 19th, 1519, they tried again. This time it was the Spanish explorer Hernan Cortez. He's the one that did it. He got it done. And he set sail from Mexico with an entourage of, get this, 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. The population in Mexico upon his arrival was about 5 million. 
So we have about 600 or so men and him. So from a mathematical standpoint, the odds were stacked against them of colonizing it for Spain by a ratio of 7,541 who were folks who were already there, the Aztecs, to one. Not too good of odds, would you say? That's why the first two entourages failed because of unsurmountable odds, or so it seemed. And what happens, though, is Cortez conquered much of the entire South American continent. But there was, why, there was a reason he was successful. Anybody know what he did? History buffs will know. Here's what happened. When they unloaded everything off the ships, he ordered a very powerful command that changed history. Now remember, 11 ships. He said, burn them all. It's fail or die. Uh, uh, succeed or die. We're not going home. We're not returning back to Spain to report a failed trip. We are succeeding or we're dying. What does that mean? The crew watched their fleet of ships burn and sink. And they came to this realization, it was probably a sinking feeling, that we're not ever going to see Spain again. We're not going back home. That's over and done. They had to come to terms with that fact and retreat from the challenge ahead of them was not an option. They had to face the challenge. In other words... What we're trying to say is nine times out of ten, failure is resorting to plan B when plan A gets risky. But what we learned from Cortez is he was a plan A kind of guy, and plan A people don't have a plan B. And that's the truth. And it's not always a pleasant realization to realize that your captain, that who you trusted, has now thrust you into the hands of a daunting event where two other expeditions similar have failed. Time to face the music, shall we say. So, the first two, shall we say, expeditions failed. They got, if they were fishermen, they got no fish. Just like the disciples in our story had been fishing all night, and when Jesus asked them if they had any food, any meat to eat, and they said none. Um, i got to ask you a question. I understand in the story that most of these guys were seasoned fishermen. And they had uh, six guys fishing all night, and not one fish from seasoned fishermen. What's going on? Why no fish? And here's what I think. I think fishing was their plan B. And they began to look at it in our crossing for no fish. They were needing a plan B. They negotiated a plan B. And they needed it in their minds. And as long as we have a plan B, the O is options remain. As long as we have options, we consider that what we're doing, whether or not we want to continue to do it. But if it's the only option, like with Cortez's men, there's only one way, and that's fold. 
There's no retreat. <laughs> That's why they succeeded. And they succeeded magnificently for Spain. I don't know about the folks who were in Mexico at the time being thinking they were successful, but Spain thought it was a great thing. Which is why Mexico speaks Espanol. Because of Cortez. And Spain. Spanish, obviously. And the word for fish under no fish, the acrostic for fish is the same as the word for fish under go fish. But the words before the letters, um, or after the letters, are different. The F is faith dissolves. There comes a time in our life when we begin to see that things aren't working out. God said this is true and if you believe things will happen and all of a sudden our plans, our dreams are starting to fall apart and we're, we're beginning to question whether what we believe is real. That faith begins to dissolve. Not only that, but inspiration, which is the I, begins to leave. We're inspired by God in the moment, but we're no longer in the peak and the high mountain with God. We're now in the valleys where that inspiration has waxed and waned and we're trying to muster up, well, God did it before, maybe He can do it again, but things keep looking more bleak and bleak and that inspiration that was our fuel is going away. I have to tell you, that if we are here to go on inspiration and not on faith, belief, and the power of God, we are in trouble. Because inspiration will leave from time to time. And what happens is, we begin to think, well, if this doesn't work, well, at least I can do this, and if this doesn't work, I can do this. We get into survival mode. All I'm going to do is just make it through this life and since God's thing isn't working and I don't feel Him around me, I'm just going to go survive. You ever been in survival mode? I've been in survival mode a lot. Well, all i got to do is today, I'm going to find a place to sleep, something to eat, and I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, and, and next week, next week. But right now, I'm just trying to survive today. That's survival mode. But you know what happens? We lose hope. Hopelessness comes along. And that's what happens. Hopelessness ensues shortly after you're in survival mode because all you're doing is existing. There's no hope in that. There's just to manage one day to the next with no possibility, shall we say, of parole. <laughs> I don't know if you all read that coffee thing. I can't remember what it's called, but they put it in different restaurants and it has little jokes and stories in it. They had a really good one this week about Dennis the Menace. And Dennis the Menace, you remember him, he's this really ornery kid who always tortures his neighbor, Mr. Wilson. And one day he was torturing Mr. Wilson all day long, just extremely bad kid, just making his life miserable. And Mr. Wilson, you know, he's wanting to pull his hair out, send the kid backpacking and all that. And at the end of the day, Dennis realizes what he's done. He gets down on his knees before God and this is what he prays. God, I'm here to turn myself in. <laughs> so hopeless. I've done all this stuff. I've survived. That's all I've done. I've done nothing but do what I want to do. There's no hope in that. There's no future. There's no promise to just survive. Yet, Jesus says, throw the net on the other side. 
Guys, you're throwing it on the left side of the boat. Don't you know there's a other side of the boat? Yeah, but, you know, we always catch them on the left side of the boat. Well, just throw it on the right side. There's some fish over there. Uh, there may be fish over there, but we catch them on the left side. We like the left side fish. It's what we do. And Jesus says, throw it on the right side. There's some over there. I see them. Some... <laughs> Not only did he see some, he saw so many that the net couldn't hold them all. It was a catch bigger than any they could have caught in two days. The net is designed to hold 30 or 40 fish. And on one count, I think it was 159 fish they caught. And they weren't. They were this big back then. They were nice sized fish in the Sea of Galilee. 159. We're talking about approximately a thousand pounds of fish in a string net. Handmade string net. Made out of the materials that were available. Hand woven. How strong do you think that net could have been? Man, they, it was full. They got fish. They decided to go fish the right way. And when they threw the net on the right side of the boat, they got rid of the left side of the boat, if you will, and they decided to go fish. And here's the difference. When you go fish, you get rid of plan B. That's the G. Get rid of your plan B. Don't ever even consider it. God's called you to something. Go that direction. Don't look at other options. It'll distract you. Just burn the ships. Second thing is obey the call. Even when the call doesn't look like it's going to happen. Now, hear me carefully. There are times in our lives and in our disciples' lives where they didn't understand that Jesus Christ is who He said He was, that He would back up the call that He put on their lives, and so they weren't sure that it was going to happen. But here's what happens. When you begin to walk in the plan and call of God for your life, regardless of the fear, the fear begins to dissolve. If you say to the fear, I don't care how big you are, how strong you are, I'm going through, that fear starts to dissipate. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's going through the fear. And when you do, you'll understand you're not alone. And isolation will leave, which is the eye. Isolation begins to leave because God is walking through the fear with you. Through because you're being obedient and you begin to sense His presence come alongside you and oftentimes He'll bring people with you and you'll stop isolating because of your fear and running from what God wants. That's what got Jonah in the belly of the whale. He isolated from God's call on his life and he pretty well went about as low as you can go. Don't know how far down into the water he was, but it was three days. And I'm sure it wasn't all on the surface. So he got pretty low, didn't he? But he was running from God and the call on his life. So when he began to face the fear that Nineveh might repent and say, okay, God, I'll go. His isolation began to leave. His desire to isolate as well. And this is what happens in that moment. Servant mode happens. It begins at that moment. 
you begin to serve. You begin to say, God, I'll go where you send me. I'll do what you want. No questions asked. It's a humbling place to be. God, here I am. However you want me, take me. And I don't know how long it takes. On the day of Pentecost, it was immediate. But I don't know how long it takes, but something happens when you get in service mode. A harvest will come. A harvest will ensue. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but a harvest will come. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers, servants into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. The harvest will ensue when the servants work. But when the masters work, the servants don't harvest. When we take the wrong perspective in our relationship with Christ, that's what happens. And I have to tell you this morning that the disciple Peter went through all of this. And i got to tell you, his story touches my heart. And the place he had to get to, to get rid of plan B, was not fun for him. It was humiliating. Jesus even told him along the way, Satan has desired you, Peter, to sift you like your wheat. Folks, it is not fun for wheat to be sifted. It hurts. It's sifting the wheat and the chaff is what remains on the surface so you see all the junk that's in your life. And that's what God was doing to Peter. He said, I'm praying for you, Peter. You better need some prayer pretty bad when Jesus is going to pray for you directly. I'm praying for you, Peter, so that when you are restored, You can't be restored unless you're unrestored. When you have come back, strengthen your brothers. Do you understand? A person doesn't understand how to help someone if they have never been broken to realize what it's like to be restored. How can Jesus save you or me if we don't believe we are sinful? That we have a problem? That we need Him desperately Because we can't get eternal life or the kingdom of God without Jesus Christ's blood, death, resurrection. Without that, we got nothing. But we think sometimes, well, all I got to do is just accept it and I'm good. It's not what it says. It says you need to be restored. Not to stay the same, but to be transformed by the renewing of your thoughts and your mind that you might be able to discern the will of God. And why would Paul say that in Romans 12 too if he didn't want you to know His will? But you can't know the will of God without the Spirit of God inside you. And you can't please God without that. And you can't please God unless you know He exists and desire to please Him. Which is what Hebrews faith chapter tells us. That He will reward you if you seek Him. It doesn't say if you accept that He is real. That you seek Him diligently. This is a faith journey. And when we go to plan B, that faith is out the door. It's all about right now. Listen to Peter's story. I have a stick in my hand. I've been carrying this for three years. 
I used to carry it on the boat. Now you'd say, why would I need a stick on the boat? Well, because that net sometimes gets tangled and you've got to stick it out in the water and you've got to move those fish around in that net to get things ready and then help that net up when it gets tangled or stuck on something in that lake. You've got to have that stick with you at all times. It's your lifesaver. But I learned something else about this stick. Yes, I did. Three years walking with Jesus, I thought, well, I'll bring it along just in case I you know, have to go catch some fish or something. I learned that along that road, there's some people who aren't very nice. I carry this stick to fend off robbers, attackers. If I do more than that, sometimes the road's rocky and I'll slip and stumble and I catch myself with it. But there's one day, I'll tell you this, one day we were questioned by the temple leaders about paying taxes and rendering to Caesar. And it was not something that was any good. We were in trouble. And Jesus told me to go down to the water, catch a fish, <laughs> and the coin pulled out of his mouth and gave the devils to pay our taxes. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I got nothing to catch fish with. But I had a stick, went down to the water, pulled this fish out with it, grabbed it, and there was a coin in his mouth. Went and paid the temple tax, and I was thankful. But you know what I did? I found me another coin just like it to remember, and I sat on the top of my stick. And everywhere I go, I remember about that fish. But I fished and I got temple tax paid. I paid my taxes with a fish. That's what I did. But I love to fish now. It's my passion. I learned it from my father. And he learned it from his. You see, we live along the Sea of Tiberias, which is Galilee to some of you. And that sea, that sea's been good to us. It's been good to me. It's raised our families. It's brought us hope and joy and peace. But then, Jesus came. He always fouls things up, man. We had this plan to build us a big fishing fleet. We're going to have some more people in it. But Jesus did some things I never imagined could be done. He asked me to join Him. And I left my nets. But I brought my stick. <laughs> I need my stick now. And I stepped up, man. I took the lead and I'd hold that stick up. It reminded me of Moses' rod and Aaron's rod that budded. It reminded me of those guys. I connected with Jesus. That stick, I'm telling you. But you know, I learned also that Jesus carried one too. He carried a rod and He carried a staff with Him too. And those brought me great comfort because He was a good shepherd. I learned that about Him. But I stepped up. I took the lead. I'd done it in the fishing. I did it with the disciples. And you'll see throughout Scripture all the places where I took some uh, leadership roles. I did it. But let me tell you something. I was never the one He called the one He loved. It was John. He loved John more than me. I know he did because he got his ear all the time and I couldn't get it. I know Jesus loved me. I know He did. But He loved John more. And I never could do enough to make Him love me. But I'll tell you, He gave me power one time. Scripture records it. My friend Luke wrote about it. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask 
The Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Do you hear that? I was one of those that went out. I cast out demons. In the name of Jesus, I did it. I was doing all those things. We were all doing it. It was a great time. We had power. And I came back. I told him, look, the demons are subject to to me. And he says, he, he rebukes me. He says, be more happy that your name is in my book. I just couldn't please him. I couldn't do enough. I don't know what's going on. But let me tell you something. It was a stormy night one night. It was a bad storm on this sea I've come to know and love. And Jesus wasn't with us. All of us disciples were in the boat. Oh, it was a mess. It was the worst storm I'd seen in years. I mean, there's no one, even us seasoned sailors didn't think we were going to make it through that one. And without Jesus there, you know, we didn't have a leader. And all of a sudden, I'll tell you, I could tell you, but my friend Luke, um, I mean Matthew recorded this for us and what happened that night. And I'll tell you a little bit more. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. They talk about Jesus all the time walking on the water, but they never talk about me walking on the water. I'm telling you, I couldn't even do that right for Jesus. I couldn't make Him love me. I tried. Everybody else was afraid and I was afraid, but he's, I said, Lord, if it's really You, call me out to You. And I'm the only one that went. Everybody else, even the one he loved, sat in the boat. Here I go, walking on the water, showing him how much I love him, that I want to be with him, and and then I see the wind and I remember that I'm a fisherman. And, And these winds can kill a man. And these storms can take a life. And I start to sink and Jesus lifts me back up and He tells me, I failed again. I still couldn't please Him until... I was the only one who got out of the boat. He told me, why did I doubt? Well, why didn't He tell that to the other eleven sitting in a boat? What's wrong with me? Why didn't He ask me to tell them what it felt like to walk on the water? Why didn't He let me be the one 
to say, look what I did for him. Instead, he used me as an example of what not to do. I wish one day people would see I got out of the boat. But there's a time, I'll tell you, Jesus was asking everybody who He was. He was getting laid on in His ministry. Some people were saying He was Elijah, John the Baptist, Elisha, all these different folks. And then He asked me. And uh, my friend Matthew wrote down what Jesus told me. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I was Simon Cephas, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah. He changed my name to the rock. Solid. I can't tell you how good that felt for him to call me out and say, You're the one I'm going to build my church on. Not John. Not any of the others. Me! He said, you're the rock. And nothing will ever come against me. It won't prevail against me. I felt on top of the world. He finally recognized how hard I've been working for Him. He knew that I was the rock that would be by His side no matter what. As a matter of fact, not long after that, He was talking about dying and things like that. And he sent me and John, his disciple, over to get to prepare the Paschal Lamb and the feast for the Passover. It was the night that he would spend last with us. His last night. And he said, you guys go and prepare it. He wanted me. And John. But me. He trusted me to take the lead and get this meal prepared most important meal he would ever have, he asked me. He included me with John. I think he loved me. I think he loved me because he trusted me. Must have loved me. Wasn't sure yet. But I did it. We had a communion meal together. Our last supper. We prayed in the Mount of Olives. I took, I had a sword at the time with my stick and I pulled it off and I even sliced off an ear of a soldier. And Jesus said, if you... Draw the sword, you're going to die by the sword. You don't need that sword. He rebuked me again. Can you believe that? Every time, He's always trying to show me. And sometimes I'd think, well, He's just trying to make me stronger. But at times it felt like He was embarrassing me and humiliating me and showing me I just didn't know anything. And i got to tell you, that I wasn't real sure why He had said just before that I was going to deny Him. I was fighting for Him. I had even said I would do it, and now He's stopping me from protecting Him. Why did He do that? Why did He stop me from protecting Him in that garden when I said I would die for you? I was doing whatever I could to protect you. I was getting ready to stab that soldier. And and He said, stop. But I just promised Him I would. 
And he said I was going to deny him three times. Well, I hadn't yet. But I wasn't doing the right thing again. I couldn't understand it. And that night, after that, I was thinking about that, how he was still loving John more than me. And I still couldn't get his approval. And I was thinking about that. And they pulled him away with the guards. And this is what happened next. And my friend Luke wrote it down for all to see. They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest, and Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked at him closely and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. I am not, replied Peter. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord that had been spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Thought I had my chance. I was following close, maybe looking for my moment to get him away from those guards, doing whatever I could. But I denied him. I didn't think about it. It wasn't really a big deal. Then I did it two more times, and as soon as that rooster crowed, I remember. I remembered what he said. But what he did at that moment was he looked at me. And I could tell I failed. I was hoping beyond hope, that I could have done something differently. And my other disciple, Judas, had done something similar. He had denied Him also, but he betrayed Him. I learned later that Judas, when he realized what he had done, he threw all the money back, blood money back, and he took his life. And I felt like doing that myself. And I ran out, and I went into the woods, and I cried. I had failed. My last chance to show him how much I loved him and I failed. I messed up again. I'm trying to take the lead and all I can do is mess up. I'm trying to do what he wants me to do and I can't figure it out. He, he certainly, certainly doesn't want me now. Not when he saw me deny him. He saw me do it. He died. I didn't get a chance to tell him I was sorry. I didn't go to the cross. I wasn't there. But they said three days later that he rose from the dead and they came and told us some women. And I went to the tomb. I I I was running, but John ran ahead of me. He's faster. And maybe he loved him more. I was just trying to get there. And when I looked in the tomb, I I didn't know what happened. I didn't know what to think. All I thought was some, maybe somebody maybe somebody took his stuff, his body. I didn't know. And now I couldn't even pay my last respects properly. I had failed him again. I may have denied him three times in a few hours, but I think I denied him 
multiple times throughout my life. And now my chance was gone. Not only that, but I think He disowned me because our buddy Mark heard what happened at the tomb later. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Do you hear that? Tell the disciples and Peter. Am I no longer a disciple, I believe? Tell the disciples. I should have been in that group. But it was, and me. Tell Peter too. Well, I knew it. I'd failed. It was over. There was no going forward with Jesus. He was gone. And he had done, made it very clear that I wasn't a disciple anymore. Hardest thing I'd ever done was that. And he kept showing up, different disciples, telling them to believe. And I was trying, but. But I just thought I was just one in the crowd now. He didn't call me Rock. He didn't call me anything. He called Thomas. He didn't say anything to me. He ignored me. I knew I was no longer counted worthy. A short time later, six of the disciples came over to my house and talked about what we're going to do next. Thomas. (laughs) Thomas, he's got great faith now, and I had none. Asked me what I was going to do now. It was a time of the day when we used to go out fishing with Dad and catch fish for the morning markets. We could sell them. And I said, that's what I told him. I said, I messed up. I denied him. He saw me. He even separated me from the disciples through the angel at the tomb. He was our leader. What am I going to do? He's gone. Fishing. Fishing. Fishing, that's all I know. Fishing's what I'm going to do. I'm getting back in the boat. He may not be in the boat, but I'm going back in the boat because I'm not worthy to be on the water. I don't deserve Him. He called me rock, but He was right. Rock sink. I can't walk on water. I'm a rock. That's why he called me rock. It wasn't because I was strong. It's because I sink in the water. I understand now. I thought I was something. Tried to make him love me. All those good things. But Jesus wasn't done with me yet. 
I kept coming back to this hope that was beyond hope because He was gone. That on this rock He would build a church, but how could He build it when He's not here? How could the gates of hell not prevail against it when I was the one who was prevailing against it? But Judas, now I learned to kill himself. And I had to learn that Nile is not betrayal. And our friend Paul much later told me this in Romans chapter 11, the call of God is irreversible. The gifts and the calling that He knows what He called me to. And He never stopped thinking I would be the one He'd build His church on. When Jesus restored Peter, He asked him to burn the ships. This text that we read this morning on John chapter 21 is just before He restores Peter. Catch this with the way I've shared the story. Peter jumps into the sea. The other disciples come in by in a little boat and they drag the net with the fish. And as soon as they had come into land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Listen to verse 11. It was Peter. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net by himself to the land. I'm a fisherman. This is what I do. I will do the fish. You disciples go be with him. But there were so many the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. None of them asked who He was. They knew it was who he, Jesus. And He took the bread, gave it to them and the fish. It was the third time Jesus had shown them Himself since He was raised from the dead. Now they had eaten. And Jesus looked at Simon. Simon. Not Peter. Simon. Simon, you're the son of Jonah. Do you love me more than these guys? I think He was asking him, do you understand... It's not about whether I love them more than you. It's about you loving me more than them. Do you love me more than these guys? Do you love me more than what they think of you? Or what you think of them and their opinions for your life? If you do, and Peter says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. He says, second time, do you love me? He says, Lest, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, do you love me? And then verse says, Peter was grieved because he knew Jesus was asking him to check his heart. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know I do. I love you the best I can. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I think he could have said it this way. Stop fishing. I didn't call you to be a fisherman. I called you to be a fisher of men. 
I told you to go do it and you went back to the boat. If you're a leader, lead. Don't go backward when you lead. Go forward. I told you to wait in Jerusalem and you went fishing instead. I'm telling you, go back to Jerusalem and wait till the promise comes. Burn your fishing debts. Don't go backward. No more fishing. Feeding. Don't fish. Feed. Don't fish. Feed my lambs. You have to be the one who will step up. You're the one I've given the authority to. You have to do this and you're sending five other guys with you. You took them backward. They followed your lead. Do you understand? You were a leader. You just didn't see it. I anointed you. I called you. That won't stop. And Scripture records Peter never went fishing again. And later, Peter wrote this. And this is the most powerful chapter and verse, I think. He says, you, and I think he's talking about the experience that he had to learn, are a chosen generation. Don't forget these things he's saying. A royal priesthood. These are from Peter's hand. A holy nation. You're His own special people. He had to learn it, didn't he? That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. Out of the darkness. Out of the old. Out of the past. Into the future. Who once were not anybody. No people. But now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have gotten mercy from God. You have a place and a purpose. Burn the ships of the past. And see, there are moments in life when we need to burn the ships. We need to do so by making a defining decision that will eliminate the possibility of sailing back to Spain, to the old world we left behind. Here's the ships you burn. Past failure. Past success. Burn the ship called bad habit. And the one named regret. Burn the one named guilt. Burn the ship called my old way of life. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. If God's called you to it, He's going to bring you through it. It doesn't matter if He's called you to go to school, write a book, start a business, get out of debt. The first step is the hardest. And it's the longest. And you just can't take a step forward in the future. You also have to eliminate the possibility of moving backward to the past. You go forward by burning the ship. By going fish. Getting rid of plan B. That is Jesus or nothing for you. Jesus' way or no way. You heard what Peter said. He's gone. Fishing's all I know. Can I tell you something? Was it 50 days after that or less that the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost? And Peter spoke with authority and Several thousand were added that day to the believers. But here's what I want to share with you. 
Jesus was still God. It isn't like Jesus came back and started leading them again. It was at that moment that Peter became the leader and wore it and refused to go back. It's at that point when the church was born and formed. You understand, Jesus is not in our midst visibly leading us. He's here leading us. You and me, He's leading us. He's called each one of us in this church to a place of purpose and a passion. For 180 years, time has marched on. This church has done the work of God. And God's not done yet. And He's still leading it. It's the same God that Peter saw who was crucified and resurrected that's still leading this church. It's the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And He's asking us to go forward. Not thinking about what we've done, but to what He's called us to. Whatever that might be, without regret, without hesitation, without remorse, but saying, yes, God, I'll go where You send me with a joy in my heart because You chose me. And You empowered me. And You gave me everything I needed to get it done. The way You want it done. Not me. As soon as we learn it's not about me, it's about Him, we burn the ships. I hope we have some Cortezes in here. Would you pray with me? God, I thank You so much that Peter was a failure, but he was not useless. He let you down on so many occasions and was rebuked on so many instances. I'm sure there were many more that weren't recorded in Scripture. And I'm sure he struggled with every last one of them just like we do when we don't know for sure what you're asking us to do. And I'm thanking you for his example because it speaks to my heart because I've been in his shoes in some ways and saying, you must love others more than me. You've done more through them. You must care about them and I can't earn it. I can't do enough to make you happy with me. I can't do enough to make you want to be with me. And you keep telling me over and over again, I'm always with you. I love you. I'll never forget you or forsake you. You are my favorite. Which he says to each one of us. We are. God's favorite. God, may we end up no longer in competition with Your kingdom, but rather building, growing, and pressing in that we might give You all the praise and glory and You would increase and we would decrease. This, for the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you, but I I relate to Peter's story. And maybe you have...